This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, and an organization called Disciple First hosted a track called Invest in a Few, How to Raise Up Reproducible Disciple Makers. So that's where the audio for today's episode was recorded. And I want to make sure that you go online and download a free ebook from their team called Invest in a Few, which is about practical ways to disciple people by investing in a few. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash disciple first. That's one word, just discipleship.org slash disciple first. And now for the track session. All right. Well, you came back. All right. Fantastic. Uh, We are uh, on, uh, we're going to talk right now about building core competencies. And so um, how many of you were not in the previous session, but are here now? Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, let's see. I could start over. Everybody's like, no. All right. So let me, let me, let me give you a five minute ramp up and then we'll we'll jump into it um what we shared last time is the that jesus had a product and a process that he gives us in the great commission he tells us to go make disciples which is the product and we defined the disciple as one that's devoted to jesus developing and the character and competencies of jesus inside and outside and then uh deployed into the mission field that's how we define what a disciple is then secondly, we talked about the process. How, do we, how did Jesus make disciples? And again, I'm just really speedy going through this. Uh, but Jesus actually used four phases. This explore phase, which is how people uh, hear the gospel before they come to Christ. Then the next phase is the connect phase, where new believers are connected with Christ, connected with the church, connected with the community, connected with the cause. Then they go into a grow phase where they're trained to multiply. The important part of that is they're trained to multiply. And this is where you're dealing with these character and competencies in here. And then ultimately, those are released to multiply out. Now, when we talk about invest in a few, which is the name of this track, we're focused right here on this training to multiply phase, teaching them to obey phase. Okay? So we've been talking about what do you do in that phase. And in the last session, we talked about how do you identify people to invest in? How do you approach them? What do you say in the first gathering uh, where you meet them? How do you vision cast for them? Uh, What types of groups do you use? Why do you use those types of groups? The use of curriculum in that. uh, All that is what we talked about last session. Okay. So in, in this session, what we're talking about is building on that. Uh, How do you uh, train people in certain basic core competencies? So what I'm going to cover are what are the basic core competencies a person needs to know to reproduce. I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to talk about four things you can do in your group that have a powerful impact on them, on their multiplication. Okay. So core competencies and four things you can do in your group that will leave a powerful impact on their multiplication, right? That's what we're going to talk about over the next uh, uh, hour here. Uh, yeah, about an hour. So um, when we talk about training, uh, you think about training, you think about 
NFL athletes or professional athletes that train. You might think about soldiers that train. You may think about uh, medical professionals that train. Uh, but training uh, produces competence. Would you agree with that? So if I'm in training as a nurse, then hopefully when I finish that training, I am competent to do the work of nursing. If I'm training to be a financial analyst, hopefully when I finish that training, I am competent to do that job. Well, that competency means that I have mastered certain skills. I have mastered certain competencies by which allow me to do that work. Now, Jesus talks about this. In Luke 640, he says, everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his master or be like his teacher. So the goal of discipleship training is to look and act like Jesus, to reflect both the character of Christ, the inside, and to be able to perform the competencies of certain skills on the outside and to carry on that work. So it involves character and competency. So in your group, you're really working on both. Now, tomorrow morning, Glenn Underhill is going to talk about how you develop character. How do you, what are some things you can do in your group to, to shape godly character within the person you're discipling? I'm talking about tonight the competencies of the basic skills that they need to have to reproduce. By the way, Jesus did not teach his men everything when he trained them. Would you agree with that? In John 16, he said, there's a lot more you need to know, and the Holy Spirit's going to make it plain to you on that day. So in Jesus' training phase, which this phase was somewhere around six to nine months long, there's no way they covered uh, history and theology and ecclesiology and all those ologies that we study, right? There's no way that he downloaded everything they could possibly need to know. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in them to grow them and to bring to remembrance the things he had said before and to grow them. But what he did drill down on were the basic functions that they would need to have to multiply. And there were some basic things that they needed to learn uh, to multiply. So just think of it this way. Spiritual uh, training is like spiritual parenting. 1 John chapter 2, 12 through 14 we don't have time to look at it or read it, but just make a note of it. First John 2, 12 through 14 talks about young men and our babes, little children. And then he talks about young men. Then he talks about fathers. And it's very clear that, um, that as you read that passage, he's not really talking about their physical age. He's talking about their spiritual age, that there are some that are babes in Christ. They're brand new babies right here. They need nourishment. They need community. They need to be fed the word. Uh, but then there are young men. They need to be tested and grown in their faith. They need to learn how to. Uh, they need to know how to make up their bed and uh, put oil in their own, uh, change the oil in their own car, and grow up and be on independent. That's just like spiritual parenting. Amen. That's the goal to get them out of the house, right? And to walk with God and be uh, be employed and all that kind of stuff. And so that's the phase I'm in right now, trying to move them out. And uh, and then ultimately there should be spiritual parents, fathers mothers that reproduce their life and the lives of others. So that is really the goal. And so the, the question is, is, what are the basic skills necessary for a person to do that? What are the basic skills necessary for a person to reproduce? And so that's what I'm calling core 
competencies. And um, now, the term core competency comes from a man named C.K. Praheland, who was a professor of corporate strategy at the University of Michigan. And he and a guy named Gary Hamill wrote a book entitled The Core Competencies of a Corporation. I'm not expecting you to read that book. I'm just telling you where the term came from. And it was a, it's a, it's a business term. And basically what they said is that businesses, companies have to have certain core companies or skills that distinguish them from other companies in the marketplace. As I was reading about that, I'm a business major, and so I was, I was thinking about that. Uh, that's true in the marketplace. There have to be certain skills and core competencies you have to excel in a job. In the same way, there are certain skills and core competencies that help you excel as a disciple maker. And just doing daily Bible reading may not drill down on those core competencies. Or you might get it over time, but it may take you a lot longer than if you were really focused on being trained in these specific core competencies. When Jesus pulled His men aside in Mark 3, 13 and 14, uh, it says there that Jesus prayed all night before. Then He chose 12 men and He said He called them so that they may be with Him and He might send them out to preach and to cast out demons. So this training in this phase is, is very specific. He's training them how to do what He is doing. Therefore, He's training them on certain basic core competencies uh, that will help them to do that. He trained them on the core things necessary to ignite a movement of multiplication. So, what are these competencies? That's the big question. So, I'm going to share with you, uh, basically, I think about it in three buckets. There are three main buckets of competencies that Jesus equipped these men to do. Okay? The first bucket is what I would call uh, walking with God. That Jesus trained His men over this time period how to walk with God. For example, He taught them to obey the Father. John 8, 29 and Hebrews 5, 8 talks about Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He taught them to exalt the Father in everything. John 3, 31 and John 17, 7. He taught them the importance of prayer. In, in Mark one thirty five, and then he taught them how to pray in Luke 11, 1 through 4. He taught them to know God's Word. Jesus quoted uh, over 70 different passages uh, as he trained them. So Matthew 5, 17 through 19, he taught the importance of God's Word. He taught them how to handle temptation in Luke 4. Uh, he taught them how to respond to failure in John 8, 1 through 11. He taught them how to live in community. And the importance of biblical community in John 13, 1. He taught them how to rely on the Holy Spirit in Luke 4, 18 and John 5, 19. He taught them how to listen to the Father's voice in John 5, 30. So basically, I say bucket because there are a lot of things you could probably throw into that bucket. But all that they have in common is he taught them how to walk with God. So when you are investing in a few, you must train them on certain skills on how to walk with God. How to hold the Scripture. How to know the Scripture. So that implies Scripture memory and Bible reading. It's how to pray and how to, how to hear God's voice. How to, how to deal with temptation. How to, how to find forgiveness when they fall. How to experience and express and extend God's grace to other people. 
how to walk in community and the importance of the local church. All those things are necessary for a person to know how to walk with God. And so part of your training at this phase are these basic skills. There are people that have been sitting in churches for decades that still do not know those things. Isn't that sad? They've heard great expository preaching, but they still don't know how to pray. They still don't know how to live in community. They still don't know how to to memorize Scripture and these basic fundamental things. Listen, when when you sign up for the Marines, they don't teach you everything that they teach you at the War College. But they sure teach you how to shoot a gun. Because you're going to need to know that when you get on the field. Well, this is kind of what Jesus was doing. This was base camp for Jesus. He was teaching them these fundamental things of how to walk with God. And not only teaching them academically, but he was modeling it for them, which we're going to get to that in just a minute. All right? I don't want to get ahead of myself. So walk with God is the first bucket. Everybody say walk with God. All right, that's bucket number one. Bucket number two is he trained them on how to reach their world. So early in Jesus' process, early on, Jesus began to stretch their thinking about people who are far from God. I mean, it wasn't in the first six months, maybe the first three months or so, that Jesus, down in Jerusalem, instead of going back across the Transjordan, up the Jordan River Valley, up back up around, He takes it straight through the gut, up through Samaria, and they're like, we're not supposed to be in here, we're not supposed to be having these conversations, why are we? He's moving them into very uncomfortable situations to prove a point that every person matters to God. He did this over and over and over. Whether he takes them up to Syrophoenicia, whether he's taking them over to, the, to the, where the Gadarean demoniac is, he's moving, he's breaking down their preconceived notions of people and showing them that people matter to God. And he started that early on in the process. Uh, he instilled in them that, that sharing the gospel is a life and death issue. In John 3.16, he talks about people will perish if they don't respond to the gospel. That they're condemned uh, apart from the gospel. These are life and death language that Jesus is using. He modeled how to have spiritual conversations. Whether it be with Nicodemus, which was a religious insider, or the woman of the well, which was an irreligious outsider. Uh, he, he modeled that. He modeled how to respond to critics and to cynics. And all the while radiate the love of God to people that were lost. Uh, he demonstrated... Uh, before his men, how to live lives on mission. How many times did you say, we, we can't stay here, we got to go. I've got to preach the gospel. We can't remain, we got to keep moving. The sense of mission permeated Jesus' life. And so therefore it permeated. So why do we find those early disciples now, af- having been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, af- having been commissioned in Acts 1-8 to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the world, that they are people on mission? Where do they get that? Because they saw it in Jesus. They saw it in Him. So Jesus not only taught His men how to walk with God, He also trained them how to reach their world right where they were and extending outward. How to live on mission. How to have spiritual conversations. How to share the gospel in a way that people can respond. So walk with God. Reach your world. And then the last last one is He trained them Uh, his men how to invest in a few he called them out to follow him and he was demonstrating how to cast vision how to select men how to invest in their life how to multiply 
Matthew 4, 18 uh, through 22. He trained them, them personally in Luke 8. And then he sends them out to put their core competencies to practice in Luke 9. So in Luke 8, they're modeling him. In Luke 9, he sends them out and says, come back and let's re-up. And then Luke 10, he sends them out and then they multiply into the 72. So you see this pattern of training, sending out, now training. How did that go? Let's debrief. Let's try that again. And he's honing these skills That's how you make disciples. Later, Jesus showed them how to multiply their lives by moving to the third and fourth generation in Luke chapter 10. All the while, Jesus is preparing them to live uh, as he lived and to walk as he walked. So this whole process, Jesus is training them to do those three things. How to walk with God, how to reach their world, and how to invest in a few. These Main general buckets were the core competencies of multiplication. Without that, they could not start in a movement, right? They don't know how to walk with God. They're not going to start a movement. If they don't know how to share their faith, they're never going to start a movement. If they don't know how to invest in others to do the same, they will not start a movement. So these were essential core competencies. So that's why I use the term competency because uh, we're not just talking about general behaviors of Jesus. We're talking about specific skills that He trained them to do that were essential for their multiplication. And by the way, these are the things that we often do not train our people to do in a regular established church. We, we go through Bible studies, and I'm all for Bible studies. They're very, very important. In these phases, particularly, Bible studies are very, very important. But Bible studies on their own may not give them the basic hands-on skills necessary to multiply. That's why we have so few that ever multiply their life. I think the reason why you have, what, 90, some crazy number, 7% or whatever, that have never shared their faith, the reason is nobody ever really showed them how to do it. Uh, or, or multiplied it. Lives, no one really showed them how to do it. And so it requires this training in these core competencies. And so let me just say, this is why as we started to dig into these, what these competencies are um, as a church, we said, you know what, we, we've got to... We've got to figure out how to, how to drill down on those three things. We need to be sure that when they're fully trained, they know those three things. How to walk with God, how to reach their world, and how to invest in a few. Now, whether they do it or not, at the end of the day, is the Holy Spirit's work in motivating them. But at least we've trained them how to do it. And so uh, we were using lots of different curriculum uh, for that. By the way, I would say whatever curriculum you use, it needs to drill down on those practices. I think those are essential practices. This is my opinion. I think from our study, several years study in the life of Christ, that this is, these are the practices they need to have, the skills they need to have. And so we found that we were, we were getting a little here and a little there and a whole bunch of other stuff that weren't really drilling down on the essentials. And so we produced our own resources. And so if you go by the table, you can see them. We have one study. It's called Walk With God, Seven Weeks. And then the second one is reach your world, seven weeks. And the third one is invest in a few, seven weeks. And that's why. I want you to know what was behind it. Because we really felt like those basic things were necessary for multiplication. Uh, Is that everything they need to know? No. There's a lot they need to know and a lot they need to grow in. But are those the essentials to multiply? I think they are. And so uh, I'd encourage you just to go by and uh, in the time that you have and, and take a look at those. Um, 
What questions or thoughts do you have about those core competencies? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, that, so the way that works at our place is that we... Yes. The question was, um, are, are we training in these core competencies off-site um, in, in these small groups of three or four? And the answer to that is yes. What we, in our church, I'm just giving you our model. And uh, that is we, we connect people on campus on Sundays in this phase because we find that people are so busy, if we can give them an opportunity to do it on campus where their child care is provided and everything, they're more apt to do it. We have a higher percentage. We have about 75% of our, uh, those that attend that will be in some kind of group as a result of that. I think that number would go down if we went off. But however, uh, when we get to this phase, that's very different. That's three or four men, men, men with men, women with women, and we walk them through those resources. So what we'll say is we say we disciple in stages, like I mentioned last time, that we'll just say, hey, we got seven weeks on how to walk with God. You know, I'd be, love for you to be a part of this group. So we walk them through seven weeks on that. You're going to know by maybe three weeks, certainly by five weeks, if they're, if they're popping, if they're hot-hearted, if they're eager. You know, they're showing up their scripture memory and they're reading their Bible and they're eating it up. Then they're growing spiritually. You're going to know that. If someone's not really... Holy Spirit's just not moving in them at that moment to grow, then you're going to see that pretty obviously. It allows you to kind of taper them off at the end of the seven weeks. Say, hey, man, that was great. And maybe you're not ready to go on, and that's great too. And you understand, and when you're ready for that, then we'll go to the next thing. But you'll find some that they're ready to move. Hey, we can't stop now. Let's go to the next book. So then we train on Reach Your World, and we do seven weeks of that. And then when they're ready, we train to the, the third one. Uh, you certainly could. Yeah, you, I've not done that, but I, you certainly could. Whatever that person needs, I think is important. You know, sometimes people have just extenuating circumstances, right? And, you know, job just all of a sudden got crazy or they have a crisis in their family. They have some, and I always just try to make it easy for them to step off, you know, because I don't want to sour them on it where later on they won't take that next step. I'll say, hey, you know, I totally understand that, man, this has happened. And maybe the best thing is maybe just to step out and, and then let's just regroup and try this again at another time. And what I find is if, I, if I'm gentle and gracious with them like that, then, then they're more apt to, to give it another swing down the line. Yeah, and I'll come back to you. So he said if you start off with four and three of them say, nah, you know, and only one is left uh, that's hungry, then I'm like, God's awesome, you got one. You know, go, go for it and just stay with that one. Yeah, just, just plow on through. Uh, because that's who God's given you, you know, and uh, I'm just trying to fold additional people in at that point. Yeah, I normally don't. I, I did have just recently, I had two, two uh, book ones or the grow, uh, grow um, walk with God books. I had two groups going on at one time and I had one guy that was really hot hearted and three weren't or they had other issues going on. So when I went to book two, these guys were going to book two, and he, that was his next step. So I folded him into that group, um, and that will work at times. It worked in that situation. But, you know, every situation is different. But I do think that you want to move forward those that are ready to move and not drag people through. Um, but having the seven-week stages we felt like gives ample time. If somebody needs to step off, then that's okay. And I look at it this way. If all they get through is book one, hey, they learned how to walk with God. I mean, how, that's great, right? And, and they needed that. They need to know how to walk with God. And so at least I've given them the skills necessary to do that. 
Um, and they can always pick up book two down the line as they go. You had a question back there. Right, yeah. yeah. So the question is, once people kind of go through these three stages, then they're looking for those to reproduce. And that's answer is yes. That's what we're asking them to do. We don't want to pressure anybody, uh, right? We're, we're looking for those that are hungry and we're inviting people into the process. But when you get to uh, uh, the, the third resource, which is invest in a few, they're, they're starting to do uh, create a list of people who they think are popping, who's already in their sphere of influence that they feel like they could disciple. And they're having those, we're coaching them through how to have that first conversation. All that stuff we just talked about in the last session is in that invest in a few book. And so we're coaching them up. So the goal is that they would begin discipling someone while they're in book three, that they're picking somebody up and they're, there's a little bit of an overlap about three or four weeks, but that helps them to get off the ground, move in that direction. Yeah. You had a question in the back. Yeah, so the question is, if you're a pastor, and would it be good to maybe get some people that are a little bit mature and walk them through so that they're more apt to multiply out? And I'd say the answer to that is yes. Uh, that's what I've done. When I'm getting something started in a church for the first time, uh, I look for, are there leaders already in place that are spiritually mature that maybe just not gone through this process, but they're hungry, they're eager to learn, they're willing to do it, then that's kind of the low-hanging fruit. Because the good side is they're already in a leadership position. They're already spiritually mature, so they're more apt to multiply uh, down the line. And that's really what you're looking for, right? You're training them. They just may not know this particular tool. In fact, I'll tell them, I'll say, now look, what we're going to go through right now is uh, some of this is going to be very basic. But I want you to look at it not just through your own personal lens, but how you're going to show that to somebody else. And they get that and i found that those are great, really great groups. I mean, they're, they're eager and we have great discussion and, and they're hot-hearted to have a track to run on. Yeah, so the question was, what is a time commitment when you're going through this? Well, the tools that we've designed, you meet once a week for seven weeks, but then off the meeting time, you're going to be interacting with them throughout the week. Now, that's not a rigid so many number of times, but I usually am phone calling, texting, how's it going? Hey, let's grab lunch. I'm trying to interact with those guys throughout the week. And I try to get them alone, you know, over lunch or coffee and find out, hey, how things really going at home and what can I be praying for and that kind of thing. That's why I can't really personally handle more than four or five, you know, I start tapping out because then that goes away. You know, all of a sudden I can't, I don't have the bandwidth to do that. So I'm trying not to do that. So I try to keep it. Uh, around three, four, five. Yeah, that's a great question. So when people go out and they're multiplying, what are you doing to keep up with them? And that's really this phase right here. All right. So we're running a track on multiplication. I would talk a lot about that. But the answer to that is yes. You need to keep those hot coals hot. And the way you keep hot coals hot is you bring them together. So uh, what we call them our reproducers. So we have, we have these people, maybe some have gone through, they never really reproduced. You're going to have that. You're going to just have that. But you're going to have some that reproduce 30, 60, 100 fold too, right? So those are what I, what I usually call the tip of the spear. I, I usually will draw this out and I'll draw a line right here through this diagram. And I'll say the below this line uh, represents the level of commitment. 
This commitment is increasing as you go through this process. Very little commitment to explore, right? Much higher commitment to connect. Much higher commitment to, to be in a group like we're talking about right now, where we're investing in them and growing them up in these reproducible skills. And even a greater commitment to, um, to multiply your life. This is why Jesus, almost all of His talk here about leaving your father and mother and, and loving the Lord more than, more than them, and, and if, you wanted, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. All this talk is in this multiplication phase. It's all about sacrifice, self-denial, um, so that's, high, that's the highest of commitment. Would you agree with that? If you look, though, at the top of this line, this represents the number of people that are willing to make that commitment. So you've got a low commitment. You've got a lot of people that will do that. But as the commitment goes up, fewer people are willing to cross the line of faith and really connect. Even fewer that are willing to walk through this investing in a few training that I'm talking about. And even fewer that will multiply themselves. Now, I don't want that to be depressing for anyone. I just want to say that's, that's what Jesus said. You look at the sowers, uh, the soils, and you have that. But what I want you to see is this. This section right here, those that have made that commitment, that are willing to do that, this is what I call the tip of the spear in your ministry. These are the people that are going to move that ministry forward. They are committed. They are proven disciple makers. They walk with God. They're sharing their faith. They're investing in others. And they're going to produce a lot of fruit. And those are the people that you want uh, on the front end, you know, helping lead and direct the ministry that you have. And, and ministries that don't have this really, um, they struggle. They flip-flop and they struggle and they, and they lack direction because of it. So these are those elders and leaders and, and key leaders in your church that are going to move, move it forward. I call the tip of the spear just because it looks kind of cool like that when I draw it on the board. So, um, Somebody else had a question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so the question was, how do you get to the third and fourth generation? Because many times with men, I totally, I know exactly what you're saying. I've experienced that myself, that you might get a guy discipled and he might do one, but then it feels like somewhere on that third one or fourth generation, it kind of falls apart. And it's very unusual to see uh, multiple lines of three or four or five generations. Here's what I've discovered, and again, this is just uh, the conclusions I've drawn, is that I used to take my brother here through these, these resources. I train him on how to walk with God, reach the world, invest in a few, and I say, man, go get them. And he's going to go get that guy, and I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to start training to this guy. And then I look over my shoulder, and he's... He might be did one more, but, but then it starts to fall apart. And what I've realized is I need to keep one hand on him longer while I'm investing in somebody over here. I need to keep pulling back. Hey, how's that going in your group? What are you struggling with? What, what are you dealing with? I need to stay. I need to not release him too quickly. Think about what Jesus did. I mean, he was with them for the whole three plus years. But then after that, he said, I'm not leaving you as orphans, right? I'm bringing the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. He's going to remind you of everything. So he stayed with us. And I think the too quick a release may cause you to struggle in the third and fourth generation. So that's why creating a community of multipliers where you can pull them together in your church and then just share stories, uh, you know, uh, deal with struggles, 
What, what are you experiencing? How can we do that? Encouraging them, training them, keeping them hot-hearted is really, really important if you want to get to the third and fourth generation. Having this community of multipliers will be essential for long-term multiplication. Okay? So, we talked about core competencies. Walk with God, reach your world, invest in a few. So, with, with the remaining time here, uh, I, what I would like to do is, is just talk a little bit about four powerful things you can do in your group. That I'm getting real practical now. This is just getting really super practical. What can you do in your group that will really help that group get the most out of it and be the most uh, effective in multiplication? All right? So let me give you four things. Four things. Number one is the power of gathering. The power of gathering. Discipleship is not a single sport. Um, It is a community sport. It is something we do together. And there is a a trend these days that discipleship, and I don't really like that term necessarily, I prefer much more disciple-making, is an individual quest that I just go out on my own to do. In fact, um, uh, Navigators just re- and, and George Barna just recently uh, produced this uh, uh, state, state of Discipleship uh, in 2015, this uh, in-depth survey. I got, have I got any Navigators in here? Okay. Okay, good. I can talk about them. No, not really. It's being recorded. Uh, and in this study, in this survey, here's what it said. 37% of all the Christians surveyed indicated they preferred the method of, their preferred method of discipleship was to do it, quote, on my own, end quote. In other words, they preferred discipleship to be what I do online. I listen to a podcast. I do my own personal study. I listen to some sermons. I do that kind of thing. It's on my own. Now, folks, I'm just telling you, that's not, that's not biblical disciple making. It's always been in community. It would have been an odd thing in the early church for someone to say, I'm just going to catch the podcast on my own. Okay? Now, I know they didn't have podcasts back then, but you to get my point, right? Uh, that this is something that we, we have to gather together. When you look at the life of Christ, he pulled his men into a tight-knit community. And, and when you look at the book of Acts, they're gathering at the temple and they're gathering house to house. So this is really, really important. Even, even in the early church, you were already starting to see people that were pulling away from this importance of gathering for disciple making. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching near. So clearly Jesus' example of, was to gather together. So when you are discipling someone in a group, as we talked about last session, it's important to gather together uh, for that mutual community. Now, when you gather together, and this is what we train in the resources that we have, there are three things that I think are important to do. In fact, I don't know why I'm writing this because I think it's on the board. But I'll do it anyway. Um, Three things that are important, or maybe the way to structure your gathering time. Uh, First one is you want to look back. So you want to take a portion of your time that you gather together to look back on the previous week. How did it go this week? What happened in your life? What did you struggle with? What, what, What can you celebrate? 
Uh, this is a great time for just pastoral care. This is a great time for loving on them, uh, just relating to them, knowing what's happening in their life, letting them debrief. I mean, I'll say that, and I'll say, hey, guys will go, man, it was, it was an awful week. All right, well, let's talk about it. What happened this week? And then they can share, we can pray for each other and encourage one another. We need that, right? That's a part of, uh, of this process. It's com- as, as Jim says, this is relational disciple-making. And you can't devoid that or, or remove that from the equation. So you look back. Uh, this, uh, also part of looking back is accountability. So when you look back, you also look back on, okay, let's look back on this verse. We were going to try to memorize this week, this verse. You know, how did that go? So let's do some verses. Or let's look back on what did God teach you this week as you were in the Word and you were reading the Scripture and you were taking notes. What did God, what's one thing that just jumped out that really... Uh, hit you this week or what did the spirit of god do and did he prompt you to say anything to anybody just week in review looking back that gives you pastoral care and accountability then after that you want to look together look together so this is really where you get to the study part or the training part or the teaching part of what you're going to discuss the biblical truth or practical competency you're going to work on and so you're going to, maybe you're, you're studying on the importance of God's Word. So you're going to go through your, your study uh, that they've done in the book. So you go through that, and you're going to be ta- pulling out elements of that that are important that you're talking about and you're teaching them. But what's important here in the looking together is that you not forget to model what that looks like. So when you are teaching on prayer, then in this looking together segment, you need to stop and you need to pray. And you need to model what that prayer sounds like and what that looks like. I think back to Cecil McGee that taught me to pray. And he made me come to his house at 6 a.m. in the morning. And when we got on our knees, he just began to pray. And learning to pray by listening to him really helped me to, in my walk with the Lord. So modeling is very, very essential. This is something we don't really do very well. And I... Maybe I'm just confessing myself, my early years of discipling, I would get through the curriculum and I'd get through the material. Now go pray, but I never showed them how to pray. Uh, that Jesus modeled everything. You know, Jesus was the curriculum, right? But all of his training was on the job, just do what I do. I'm going to do this, you watch me, now you do it, I watch you, now you go and show someone else. That was always Jesus' style. So I think we need to somehow reclaim this modeling component in our looking together. So the, the, the temptation will be just to get through the material, but you got to model it out. Show them what it looks like. And then the last element of this gathering is to look uh, forward. Look forward uh, to what is coming up in the future. So you want to help them to say, okay, in this next week, here are the things that, that you need to do. So here's what we're going to memorize. Here are the lessons. Here's the reading you're going to do. Here's the exercise I want you to be identifying three people that don't know the Lord. Or I'm going to ask you to be praying through this, uh, this, this acrostic to try to practice that. You know, whatever you're asking them to do, that you're looking forward into what that will look like. Okay? And so you're showing them that. Um, I, I think just this, this, this basic formula is very, very helpful in, um, in your gathering time. Uh, looking back, uh, looking together, and looking forward. Any questions about that? 
That's a very simple formula. I've seen lots. Uh, that's not unique to, to me. There, I've seen lots of other guys use this over the years. But now, that's not always equal uh, in just time. Uh, sometimes looking forward doesn't take that long. You know, it's probably the shortest of, of them. And sometimes looking back may eat up a, a, a whole session. You know, if, if somebody's dealing with the crisis, it'd be kind of silly to say, well, I know you're in crisis. Your leg is chopped off and you're bleeding out, but we really have a lesson to deal with right here. Uh, so that, that's not really good. So you just got to be sensitive uh, to the Spirit of God. But that gives you some way to govern uh, what you're trying to do and how to run that group time. Right. So with with the men I do, we have to try to do this in an hour. And so that's difficult. You know, if I had if I had two hours, you know, if I've if I've got college kids or a little have a little bit more time and they want to hang out, man, I'd take two in a heartbeat. Uh, Some sometimes I've done an hour and a half, but do it late at night or a time when they're a little bit open on the backside. If you catch them in the morning, which is a lot of times when I have to meet with guys in the morning because after they get to work, their day is gone. Their, their time is just limited. So I just have to maximize the time that I get. And I, you can do it. Uh, I think you just work with the time that you got. Uh, but usually I, I'll say anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half uh, is, is doable. Okay, so the power of gathering. That's the first one. Power of gathering. Second one is what we call the power of a commitment. So we grow through commitments. So whether it's commitment to marriage, commitment to a job, commitment to um, your education, whatever that is, you grow through commitments. So back to our little diagram here. Jesus always called them to greater and higher levels of commitment every step along the way. He was, remember this line here, he's increasing the commitment level as you go. And so... Uh, if Jesus did that, then we need to always call people up to commitment. And when I say commitment, what I really mean is this issue of obedience. Did you do this? Did we, are we doing this? Are we just kind of talking about it? Are we really obeying what, what we're learning here? If we're, we're talking about God's Word, okay? Then we're going to try to be in God's Word every day this week. We're going to try to journal what God is saying to us. Or if we're talking about prayer, how do we do in, in praying with your wife this week, just putting these practical things out there that they can actually do. And so commitments is really important. So we're utilizing uh, in, in the material, it, it, it walks you through it, but we utilize what we call our I will statement. I will. And basically at the end of every gathering time, you take a moment to write down what I will do this week as a result of what I just learned. It's just an attempt to get them to make a commitment to do something. Because you know what we're really good at? Hearing things and doing nothing. I thought I'd get an amen out of that. Amen. We're really good at that, right? We, we hear great preaching, but we do absolutely nothing about what that has to say. So in this group, what you're trying to do is break that habit by getting them to say, I will do this. And so we'll, I'll stop at the end of our talk time and we'll say, now let's take a minute and I want you to write out your I will statement. What are you going to do this week with your family, with that coworker, with, you know, in your personal life as a result of what we just talked about? And I just wait and I look at, I stare at them until they write something down. And I say, okay, let's go around and let's just share what our I will statements are this week. So then they have to say it out loud. Well, I'm going to pray with my wife this week. Well, guess what happens when we gather the next week? 
And we go through looking back. Somebody's going to say, hey, John, weren't you going to pray with your wife this week? How'd that go? All of a sudden, there's some accountability. Well, you know, it went great. Oh, that's awesome. Or it didn't go so well. What happened? So then you can debrief. That's what Jesus did. Debriefing. Them doing something, debrief. And so this I will statement allows you to kind of drill down and to help them. Growth happens outside our comfort zones. Whether it's growing muscle, you have to stress your body in the gym. Whether it's growing spiritually, you have to push outside of what's comfortable. And the I will statements help you to do that in a way that's encouraging and helpful, but helps them to move into more obedience and not just cognitive you know, learning. The power of commitment. Uh, the next one is the power of modeling. And I've already talked about that. Uh, but the power of modeling. As you are in your group, you want to be sure and model what you want them to do. Do not assume that they know because they probably don't. I, uh, I went into the Apple store about a year ago to get my phone worked on and, uh, and this young lady was helping me and so she was helping me with some, something. and We had to wait for a period of time. They were checking out my phone. And so I just start, struck up conversation and I said, uh, so how long have you worked at the Apple store? And she goes, oh, not too long, just a few months. I said, well, I bet it's so hard to have to learn all this stuff. And I mean, you probably go through all this training. No, not really. Really? It didn't take long? No. She goes, no. I said, well, how'd that work? She goes, well, I, I was online and I saw an ad to work at the Apple store. And so I answered online and it was, a, it was like in a ballroom in our area so, of a hotel. So I went to this hotel ballroom and we did some training. I said, well, how long was the training? Oh, about, I think it was like a day and a half. Day and a half? You learn all that? Oh, well, and then after that, then they assigned us to a store. I said, well, what happened when you got to the store? She said, well, I got assigned with a trainer. I said, okay, well, what did they do in the trainer? She said, well, the trainer had a blue, uh, blue shirt on and a lanyard, and I just had my regular clothes on, and I just followed this trainer everywhere they went. Every time they had a customer come in, I was listening in on what this trainer was saying, and they were showing them the product. And then when they were in between customers, we would talk. I said, okay, that's good. And I said, then what happened? She said, well, then after a couple of months or a month or so, when I was ready, when the trainer thought I was ready, then we switched. And I put on the blue shirt and lanyard, and my trainer put on regular clothes. And they followed with me everywhere we went. Until finally one day, the trainer said, you've got it. I'm going to now send you out to have somebody to train. And so I looked at her and I said, that's just what Jesus did. I literally said that. And she just looked at me like, what? You know, I, thought we were I mean, it was kind of awkward, but I couldn't help myself because that's exactly what Jesus did. It was all about modeling. See, it wasn't, they didn't sit them down and go through manuals and manuals and manuals. It was all on the job, just learning, practicing modeling, practicing modeling. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes, though, it's hard to practice and model certain things, right? Uh, but you can practice and model reading your Bible. You can practice and model prayer. You can practice and model sharing your faith. You can practice and model some of these basic reproducible skills. You can practice that and you can model that. And even if you're not modeling it to them right where they see it, you can tell them real life stories about what happened when you did that. That is really essential to them helping, helping uh, them to grow. Uh, Paul modeled over and over and over with Timothy. And uh, he said, the things you've heard and seen me do in trust to reliable men. That implies that Paul, Timothy heard and saw 
Paul do something. And it was those things that he saw modeled. He was then told to uh, entrust to reliable men. So uh, Jesus gives us this model. Listen, we for far too long have had a lot of information without any demonstration. We got to stop that. We have to have information and demonstration together. And so the power of modeling is very essential. Otherwise, you'll just get people that know things, but they still have never done them in their own personal life. Okay, the last one is this, and that is the power of commission. Uh, Jesus uh, commissioned His disciples, of course, in the Great Commission. Jesus regularly commissioned His men. When you look at Matthew chapter 10, when He's going to send them out uh, on one of these, these go expeditions... And he's trained them on some core competencies. They're going to go try it out and then they'll come back and report back. Jesus called the 12 disciples together, it says, and he gave them authority to cast out demons and evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease. And for those 18 months, he, he's, he's, been, he's been modeling it, he's been modeling it, and now he's sending them out. She's been showing them how. They've been watching. Here, they, they just watched Jesus do it. Here, He trained them on how to do it. Now here, He's sending them out and they're reporting back to Him how it's going. But in every step along the way, He commissioned them. When you look at Matthew 10, it's very interesting how Jesus commissioned them. He says, now this is, this is what you're going to expect. This is what you need to do. You need to, uh, you need to go. Uh, and don't take anything with you. And then you need to uh, expect that difficulty is going to come and uh, hardship is going to come. And also know that the Holy Spirit is going to be with you. He's just preparing them when they go out that these things are going to happen. And then He commissions them to go. Now, of course, then we get to the Great Commission, and that's kind of the final one. Hey, you'll be my... You make disciples of all nations. You get that same thing in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses. It's important to commission people to what they're doing, to send them out, being prayed over, and saying, hey, this is what you can expect. This is what's going to happen, but the Spirit of God is going to be with you, and He's going to go before you. So I think ending your gathering time with a commission is a really good thing to do. Now, what does that look like? So what that looks like is primarily... Um, after you've kind of gone through the looking back and then you've looked together and you've modeled and then you're looking forward, here's what this next week looks like. We're crafting our I will statement. This is what I'm going to do for the next week. Then usually what I'll do is I'll say, all right, let's all get on our knees. And then we'll all get on our knees and I'll pray for them. I'll say, Father, these are your men and they love you. And Lord, the best of our, our, our ability, we have tried to learn how to walk with you today. And we've tried to learn how to pray today. So Lord, I just commission these men out that you would fill them with the Holy Spirit. We know that the devil doesn't want them to be men of prayer, but I pray that you would help them to be men of prayer. And I, I know that they're going to have crisis come another week, but Lord, we pray that you would go before them. You see what I'm doing? I'm modeling for you right now how, what that looks like. And I just pray this commissioning prayer over them for them to go and to be God's men in the world for this week. And knowing and trusting that God's going to use them. I tell you what, that is a whole lot better than, well, okay, we finished that lesson. We'll see you next week. This sense of commissioning, being sent out into the world, just heightens their ability to live out what you've just talked about. And so 
these, these uh, four things, the power of commission, uh, the power of gathering, the power of modeling, these things are so important to helping your group to really take hold and, and to grow as you invest in a few. We're, we're trying to get these folks, men and women, to take these basic skills and reproduce them. So you've got to train them on those three things, how to walk with God, how to reach your world, how to invest in a few. And then when you gather them together, how to infuse that in them through these, these elements. And uh, when you do it, you'll see God, the Spirit of God, just begin to work in their heart and in their life. Okay? Any, any questions about uh, any of those four things that we talked about? Yes. You know, not necessarily. I just, I just say, hey, let me just pray for you. And, uh, you know, we're kind of used to praying before we, we quit. You know, we, and so I just say, let's get on our knees. And so we get on our knees. And then I just put my hand on the guy's shoulder and I said, Lord, we're just your guys trying to walk with you, Jesus. You know, and I just, I just pray this commissioning prayer over him. And uh, you know what's interesting? In our church, every, at the end of every service, I lift up my hands and I say the same thing. I say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He lift up His countenance on you and give you His peace. I say that at the end of every single service. I've done that for probably 15 years. And it's amazing how people respond to that. They will stop. They will wait. I mean, if I walked off and didn't say that, they would come at me with pitchforks and, 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 and torches. Uh, and the reason why is there is something innately about someone speaking over you, God's blessing, God's favor, and commissioning you out that is powerful. And we hunger for that and we want that. And um, I think as a discipler, you have the unique position to do that and to call them out to be their best in following Jesus that week. Uh, and so I think commission is really a powerful way to do that. Good. Yes. Right. 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 So uh, he, he basically said is at one point I talked about not releasing people too quickly. And then you talk about having three sets of seven weeks, which seems kind of quick. Uh, and that's a really great thing. I, one of the things that I've I, I had a friend of mine there's a, a, a navigator and his philosophy was, you mean, you stay with a guy for maybe three or four years before you would release them. And another friend that that he, his uh, tool that he used quickly moves somebody after like 14, 15 weeks and he reproduces well. And if you stand back and look at these guys over the course of time, both of them have lasting fruit. <laughs> both of them, you know, I've multiplied. Both of them have lasting fruit. One has uh, a, lo- a lot more reproduction, but maybe the longevity may not be as long where other one might be. I don't know. Uh, I've just learned from both of these guys that I highly respect that either way, God can bless. And really, the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to sustain them anyway. Uh, so we've just landed on 21 weeks with broken this way as, as, a, as a reasonable time for us to get these core competencies. But the feeling is if we can retain them in a reproducer community, then we can stay with them longer. So that was kind of the, the split the middle decision. It's a little quicker on the training side, but longer on the on the reproducing community side. Uh, do you have different on-routes? 
during the year, or is there specific seasons that you yes. kick off the group? Yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll kick off some in the fall and some in January just because that's when people are thinking about it. You know, we, we don't encourage people to start groups in the summer for obvious reasons of travel and so on. Uh, but we do. We ring the bell in January. We ring the bell in, uh, in the fall. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and you could have you could have groups that go through book one and book two, then they hit the summer, they take the summer off, and hit book three in the fall, and it's it could actually be yeah, that's a good point. It's very seldom twenty one exact weeks because you've got gaps, you've got holidays, and we're going to break for that and come back. So it it definitely stretches out a little bit longer than that. Yes, uh, it it is. You know the the goal is is invitation right but we're not going to sit around and go you're beating the door down for somebody to stop you go, i'm sorry you haven't been invited yet you know we're not going to do that so yeah we we will kind of do a general call but what we're really looking for is not the general call the general call is kind of an invite for anybody out there man god's working and we just don't know that may be popping but really what we're doing is we're looking down into their groups and we're saying who's popping in your group and we need to be going after those poppers. And so we take our reproducers, people that have been trained, and we say, who, who do you know? Who are you seeing? Who are you looking for? Who are you praying for that you can, you can invite? Um, what we found is that there's a little bit of a danger when you do the general call that people, oh, this is just another Bible study. You know? And really what they're thinking is this when you're really giving them this. And so you have to be careful with that group to let them know. Now, before you go, this is not just a normal Bible study. We're training you to reproduce your life in others, and that's the expectation. And they may go, oh, well, that's not really what I was (laughs) up for. (laughs) Right. Just clear expectations, I think, is important. You guys have done a great job staying with me. Nobody's falling asleep. It's awesome. Y'all are fantastic. Yes, sir. Yes, yeah, so the curriculum that we've developed, uh, we have it at the table if you'd like to take a look at it. Uh, but those are those three book sets of Walk With God, Reach Your World, and Invest in a Few. So, um, you know, we've used this in our church, and um, uh, we've taken all our staff through it, and then they've reproduced it. And now we have folks that are, that are now reproducing in the third and fourth generation now. So it's a fairly new tool for us uh, because we were using other curriculum before. But we didn't feel like, we felt like we were having to piecemeal everything together to get what we wanted in it. So we decided just writing it would be best for us. Uh, you talking about this phase right here? Yeah. Right. Yeah, it can really, the goal of the connect phase here is for new believers to connect uh, with the church, connect with the community connect with the cause through volunteering and make sure they know Christ and, and, and they're, rooted, they're getting rooted in their faith. So it's really for believers here, but you're not going to expect them uh, here. They're really going to be trained with some accountability and so on. So here they're just getting nourished. So what happens is, I think Dan Spader did a survey uh, of 100 churches, 100 churches, and he asked them to do their, plot their programming uh, in one of these four stages. So what, where is your pro, what programming for just for lost people, for believers, to train believers to multiply and to multiply? The short version of that story is, he said, 87% of the, 
of those surveyed, surveyed had all their programming in this phase. All of it. It was all for believers. To read the Bible, pray, worship. That's what they do. Men's breakfast, women's Bible study, Sunday school, worship, everything. Nothing for, for unbelievers, nothing to train people to multiply, and certainly nothing to help them stay reproducing. And so if you only have everything here and you're not bringing anybody in and you're not sending anybody out, then what are you? You're stagnant and you're dead. And you're 75% of the Southern Baptist churches in the United States that are plateaued or declining. And that's just because I'm a Baptist and I know that number. I don't know what it is for other denominations, but I know it's probably that bad or worse. So the point is, we've got too much from a church leadership standpoint, way too much here. That's why we desperately need these types of groups in our churches. We need to be able to move people through into those. Uh, explore. There are lots of great things for Explore. Uh, Alpha's great. If you're familiar with Alpha, uh, we've used that. Uh, explore God uh, is a website. There are several other things that we're doing. We have created an Explore piece uh, that's out there too. We call it Explore because <laughs> it we're simple, all right? So we call it Explore. It's a 21-day uh, journey to knowing Jesus. And basically, it's just a study through the Gospel of John. It's one chapter a day for 21 days, and it just asks questions, but it's written for a person that hasn't crossed the line of faith yet, that just, let's just dig into the Bible and see who Jesus is. And so we're trying to create uh, some pieces here, because I do feel like that there's, there's room to grow here uh, in resource to help people. Um, but there are a few out there. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's always that. Uh, I think you just have to be careful in that. Uh, but usually what I, what I, if, if someone's sideways over that, I'll say, man, you're welcome to come, but this is what's going to be expected. Are you sure you really want to do that? And if they're not popping, they really don't want to do that. And uh, so I'll just let them self-select out. You know, I won't say you can't. I'll just say, hey, man, you're welcome to come to this. This is what we're doing. Are you sure you want to, you sure you want to jump into that? I mean, we'd love to have you. So, you know, I'm saying it like that. But they go, oh, well, dude, I, I can't meet every week and memorize Scripture and read the Bible and share my faith. I don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, well you're, well, you're welcome. See, so I'm not going, you three, not you. You know, I'm not going to do that. Every time I select, you know, we're in the selection phase, like I talked about in the last session, it's always one-on-one. It's not, it's not really in a group. I'm approaching them privately about it. Okay, I think, I think we're out of time here. Um, Yep, I think we're just we're just right on time. Any other questions? Yeah, before you leave, just want to make an announcement. We've got eight food trucks outside, and seven of them are really good. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell us which one was the one to stay away from. No, they're all good. Hey, you guys have been fantastic. Give uh, give two minutes to Ben. Where's Ben? Is he? Uh, come on up here, Ben. Give a hand clap for Ben. Ben's doing a great job at the Disciple First, so share us a little. Hey, I hope you guys will take advantage of that. It's just a great way to connect. We will be in different areas. We do these uh, small forums in various parts across the country. We've been in Alabama. I've been in Alabama quite a bit recently, and in, in Georgia, and I think we'll be up in Kentucky, and we've been in Texas and other, other places around. And so we would love to come do a, a training uh, in your area, maybe in your church or in your hometown. So a good way to 
be abreast of that is just to get on the register for the Disciple First community. All right, so I encourage you to, to do that as well. All right, thank you, everybody. We're going to take a break, and I'll see you in the main session. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. Make sure to download your copy of the free ebook by Disciple First called Invest in a Few. You can get it at discipleship.org slash disciple first. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources there as well at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.